2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 22. Would you stand with me as we read God's Word together? Good to see you this morning, by the way. This is Paul writing young Timothy from one pastor to another as he's training Timothy to be a pastor. But it applies, this passage applies to everybody beautifully. He says this, Flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments because you know they produce quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not quarrel. Instead, he must be kind to everyone, able to teach and not resentful. Those who oppose him, he must gently instruct in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth, <clears throat> and that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for these words. Paul says so much here. And we pray that you would help us to consider, absorb, and apply every single word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. This morning's message is entitled, How to Get Along with Anyone. How to Get Along with Anyone. This last year, one of the members of our church here very sweetly came to me and asked me about a particular publication. Did I ever read it? Called Reader's Digest. Now, I remember, I remember when I was a kid reading Reader's Digest. This is before the internet. You had to read things in print. And I didn't know they still had them. And I said, sure, I love Reader's Digest. And so they bought me a subscription to Reader's Digest. And so uh, this last month's copy of Reader's Digest had an article in it called How to Get Along with Anyone. Now, I'll concede to you, I didn't, I didn't actually read the article. <laughs> But I love the title so much, I did go through the article, skim through it, and looked at some of the types that they talked about, and so I gleaned from that, added some uh, types of my own, and created a sermon from that. So thank you to that church member who did that, and to Reader's Digest, frankly, uh, for giving me that wonderful idea. Um, how to get along with anyone. I found it to be fascinating, and it caused me to consider this fact that the Bible teaches so much about this very topic. How can we get along with others? That said, there are some people you and I will never get along with. And, and no, it's not Democrats. That's not what I'm talking about. <laughs> there are people that we will not get along with. They are so dysfunctional that they can't get along with anyone. And there are those out there, and you probably know them, that don't want to get along with you, and they don't want to get along with anybody else. Every single relationship in their life is contentious. Jesus had this same challenge with some of the religious leaders of the day. They did not want to get along with them. Paul had to deal with this with some of the fellow church members who didn't care much for Paul. No matter what he did or what he said, they just didn't like him. They didn't want to get along. I'd like to think that most of us want to have and maintain healthy relationships in our lives with others. 
And for most people in your life and in my life, that's entirely possible. Not even too difficult with most people. We just get along with one another. We understand our boundaries and we get along with each other. Unfortunately, that does not apply to everyone. Some people are hard to get along with. So I'd like to give you a few biblical guidelines today for dealing with certain personality traits that, well, are challenging. And they're wonderful biblical guidelines. In fact, beyond all of the books on psychology, how many psychologists have written books? I would say millions over the years and over the centuries. Psychologists, psychiatrists, and authors, and uh, self-help guides, and self-help gurus. Everybody writes a book anymore online. But you'll never find a better book for relationships than right here. It really is very self-destruct, uh, self excuse me. <laughs> uh, what am I trying to say? It's really good <laughs> at teaching relationships. It is the ultimate guide in relationships and we should listen to it very closely. Um, now, so I wanna, <laughs> I wanna give you a list. And again, this was from Reader's Digest. So if you don't like the list, blame Reader's Digest. Although I added a few and I took away a few. But here is a list, again, not comprehensive, it's a list of people that we find challenging to deal with, and we're going to talk about it today and next Sunday morning as well. So if you want to hear the whole list, or see the whole list, or study the whole list, you'll need to be here today and tomorrow. These are the people that we struggle with. The frenemy, the chatterbox, the introvert, the slightly crazy and I'll talk about that in a minute. The complainer, the contrarian, the politician, and the drama queen. Okay, are you ready? By the way, I mentioned this list to the staff this week, and they immediately began to assign fellow staff members <laughs> to the personalities in this list. <clears throat> and as I read the list, you probably had people come to your mind that you thought about immediately when I gave the list. The frenemy, the chatterbox, the introvert, the slightly crazy, the, claim, uh, the complainer, the contrarian, the politician, and the drama queen. Let's begin with the frenemy. The frenemy. Now, if you've never heard that term, and almost all of you have, it's a uh, compiling of the word friend and enemy. And sometimes you may have relationships with people and you're not sure if they're your friend or your enemy. One definition I found was this. Frenemies are the people in your life who act as though you, they're your friend, but do some oddly enemy-like things to you on more than a, an occasional basis. They are the backstabber. If you are a frenemy, you feel like you have the right to expose any perceived flaw in those around you. And if you learn of actual shortcomings in your friends, then it, you think it's your job to use it against them by sharing it with everyone else. Of course, when you can, try to steer clear of this type of individual. But frenemies are sometimes around us because they are coworkers or relatives. So we can't simply move on and get away from them if they're in that category. By the way, there are frenemies in the Bible. 
multiple times there are frenemies. There are people that were frenemies to Jesus. Uh, not, I mean, obviously Judas comes to mind, but there were others as well. We've been studying Nehemiah on Wednesday nights. What a great leader he was and a great example for us. Nehemiah also had frenemies. He had a group of people that were out to get him. God called him while he was in uh, Babylon, which is now under Persian control, and he's a cupbearer to the king. God called him to go back to Jerusalem and lead in the rebuilding of the wall around Jerusalem, which they did in 52 days. When he went back there, he found that there were some people living there that were leaders or considered themselves leaders or they were wealthy businessmen in the area that did not want that wall built. They would lose control. And they didn't live in Jerusalem because they weren't Jews. They were living outside of Jerusalem. And so they did everything they could to stop Nehemiah and the building the wall, including threatening to come and kill them but then in chapter 6, what a wonderful chapter, they finished the wall. And as they completed the wall, all they lacked at that point was putting the gates in place. And we looked at that last Wednesday in our study. By the way, there's some wonderful more chapters coming, so be sure to come on Wednesday night at 6.30 as we go through the book of Nehemiah. And so Sanballat was one of those enemies couldn't stand Nehemiah. He hated the wall being built. He threatened to kill him, threatened to attack the Israelites while they were building the wall. Everything in his power failed because God was against him. And Nehemiah, instead of taking it personal, he just gave it over to God, went to God in prayer on multiple occasions and say, this guy, Sam Ballot, is out to get me, God. Help me. And God helped him. And so they finished the, the wall, all of it, but the walls have no power at all to save the people without gates. Got to have the gates, otherwise the enemy comes in. And when they come in, all they have to do is knock down the gates. If they knock down the gates, you see it in every chivalry movie, every mid-century, mid not mid-century, Middle Ages movie where they're pounding at the gates of the city to get into the city. So the gates are not in place yet. And so this Sanballat guy, realizing the wall is complete and being an enemy didn't work, he decides to become friends with Nehemiah so he can kill him. <laughs> you have friends like that? So he sent five letters, five messengers with five letters on five occasions to Nehemiah and said, hey, congratulations. <laughs> it looks good. That, that's a great wall. Um, I, let's... let's Let's work things out. Why don't you come over to this nearby town and we'll meet together and become friends. That's what he wanted to do was an invitation to be his friend. Of course, as soon as Nehemiah went to the town, he was going to do what? He's going to kill him because that's what frenemies do. Of course, Nehemiah was all over that and just ignored him and said, no, that's not, not going to happen. So how do you deal with frenemies? People who claim to be your friends act like your friends when they're around you, but then as soon as you leave, they turn into your enemy and do damage to you. Well, number one, put boundaries on your relationships because they won't. In fact, this applies to a number of the people that we're going to be mentioning this week and next week. It is going to be up to you to put boundaries. 
Now, most people, as I said, have healthy relationships, and most of you have healthy relationships with most of your friends. And so when you meet somebody, if you met somebody this morning and shook their hands, you didn't immediately look in their eye and say, hey, by the way, we need to have some healthy boundaries, and so here's a list. You don't do that. You just kind of naturally understand that there are boundaries. You know, you didn't start kissing and hugging the first person you saw this morning because those are wrong boundaries unless they're your spouse. You understand? You didn't invite them to your house to live at your house from now on because they're not one of your kids. Because there are boundaries. Different people have different boundaries. And we have, and by the way, when you excel, exceed those boundaries, and there are people that have boundary problems, you immediately notice. It gets real awkward real quick. And go, oh, <laughs> I don't know this person's name. Did they just hug me? That's weird. That's awkward. And so we, we understand there are boundaries. You get that. Well, with dysfunctional people, they struggle with boundaries. And so with the frenemy, they have boundary issues. They want to know too much about you for all the wrong reasons. And so you just simply have to establish boundaries and say, nope. We're not going to go there or you, know, you decide I'm not going to talk about this. I'm not going to talk about that because they're liable to take that information and misuse it. And so that's just a common sense thing. Number two, <clears throat> use wisdom as to how much personal information you give them. The chances are if your frenemy is a frenemy and they're using information against you, it's personal information. Number three, actively keep them in your prayer life. And I'll say this multiple times today. Always remember that God loves frenemies too. Now, he may not be pleased with them. He may judge them. That's for him to do. But for you and I, our part is to pray for our enemies, pray for our friends. And so we should pray for our frenemies as well. <laughs> Number four, don't become the frenemy yourself. We have a natural tendency to trash others who criticize us or speak negatively about us, even when we're nice to them, uh, to their face. We think it's okay because they did it to us first. They're a frenemy to me, and so I'll be a frenemy back to them. Don't do that. Don't fall to that. That's Satan trying to work in your life because you don't become any different than them. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 24 says this, this is out of our passage that I read for today. And the Lord's servant must not quarrel. Instead, he must be kind to everyone, able to teach and not resentful. He must be kind to everyone. That everyone is a hard word, is it not? Must be kind to everyone, even frenemies. Number two, the chatterbox. Or you could say it this way, the oversharer. This is the person who uh, shares t too much information. These are TMI people. They tell you way more than you ever want to hear. Way more about them than you want to know. And immediately, in just a few minutes of the conversation, you're going, whoa, I didn't, want to need, I didn't need to know that. I don't want to know that. You know the type of person. They tell you everything about themselves, about everyone, and about everything, about other people you don't even know, about things that don't matter at all. They just keep talking and talking and talking. They can't stand the idea of a moment of silence. If there are a hundred people in a room and one person is talking, it's them. They never stop. 
You watch them just to see when they're going to take a breath. You start planning your exit strategy the moment they walk into the room. You know them, don't you? These people never stop talking, and no one has that much wisdom. That's the problem. And by the way, if I'm describing you, take it to heart. And if you're wondering if I'm describing you, if everybody's looking at you right now, it's probably you. Okay? <laughs> Don't look. <laughs> Proverbs chapter 10, verse 19 says this. Is he back there? Proverbs 10, 19. I can't see them back there. All I see is, is bright lights. There we go. He is back there, by the way. Thank you. Proverbs 10, 19 says, When words are many, sin is not absent, but he who holds his tongue is wise. When words are many, that is, we can only say so much for so long before we say something dumb. Uh, in fact, the more we talk, the dumber we tend to get. So what should we do when we're around an oversharer or a chatterbox? Number one, again, walk away. Uh, don't stomp out of the room. Don't put your nose in the air or that kind of thing. Just quietly walk away. Make an exit. Kenny Rogers was right. As I like to tell you, this is some good theology. You got to know when to hold them, know when to fold them, know when to walk away, and know when to run. Okay? Walk away. Number two, don't be an oversharer yourself. If you find yourself having that tendency, then do as the psalmist tells us to do and shut the door. You need to have a good shut the door theology in your life. Psalm 141.3 says it this way. Set a guard over your mouth, O Lord. Excuse me, over my mouth. This is a prayer, by the way, so you need to start praying. Set a guard over my mouth, O Lord. Keep watch over the door of my lips. And sometimes we need to shut the door. That's what he's telling us to do. Keep guard. Let God decide what you're going to say and what you're not going to say. And I guarantee if you let God decide everything you're going to say, you're going to talk less than you do now. Most of you. James 1.26 says, If anyone considers himself religious and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself and his religion is worthless. And that's something. James 1.19 says, My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. If you feel a need to talk all the time, Really work on that. It is transformative. You don't need to be sharing all the time. People don't need to hear all of that information. Number three. <laughs> Are you ready? The slightly crazy. The slightly crazy. Now, I say slightly crazy because I've told you before, there is a difference between slightly crazy and crazy crazy. Okay? Because we're all a little crazy. Some more, amen, said the crazy person. All right, somebody, one honest person in the room. And if somebody is crazy, crazy, there's not a whole lot you can do. They're in their own world, their own planet, and uh, unless you're a psychologist and they're, they're wanting to get better, then there's not a lot you can do except to pray for them. 
But we all know people that are just a little bit off. They're missing a few bricks. They're, they have a few lights out. And of course, God loves them too. Amen? I think God makes people like that so the news media will have somebody to report on. <laughs> They're interesting drivers too. I like to watch YouTube videos of them driving and you can tell something's not quite right just by the way they drive a car. They're also entertaining on YouTube when they pop fireworks. I don't know what it is about people that don't have any kind of sense at all. They're a little off. They pop fireworks until they lose a limb or burn down a building or everybody's running in fear. And so, you know, that kind of person, sometimes they're related to you. <laughs> Usually there's one or two at work. There may be a few here this morning and you may be realizing it's you. <laughs> That's okay. There are more than a few slightly crazy people in the Bible. King David himself did some crazy things. When he had them bring the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem, he danced naked in the streets. That's a little crazy. <laughs> Solomon had a thousand wives. That's just crazy, crazy. <laughs> Peter, on one occasion, actually asked Jesus to call him out of the boat so he could walk on water to the shock of the other disciples. And I guarantee if you were to ask the disciples, is Peter crazy? They would say, yes, he's crazy. That was a crazy thing to ask. Paul had to deal with the Corinthian church members, by the way, because they were acting crazy in the worship service. And he said, people would come in and see them and, and conclude, you people are crazy. So we see a little bit of crazy throughout the Bible. So how do we deal with crazy people, excuse me, slightly crazy people? Well, first remember, as I said before, God loves crazy people too. Amen? Second, don't call them crazy even if they are. I've never found that to be helpful. <laughs> Especially if it's your spouse, your parents, or your kids. All right? Don't call them crazy. Third, be patient with them. God puts up with you and me. So we can put up with them. In fact, you have to understand this, that God may put some slightly crazy people in your life because he wants to teach you something. I once had a homeless guy come into the church lobby during the week and sat down in the couches in the lobby. Now, it wasn't the fact that he was homeless. We have homeless people come in all the time. They want food or or money for gas, or those kinds of things. But this particular guy, I could tell as soon as I saw him that something wasn't wired up quite right. And he was not harmful. He was a harmless guy. And I started talking to him, and he told me he wanted something to eat. So I said, okay, I think we can have something. I, I'm going to get him some snacks or something. And so we were walking down the hall. He's being nice. I'm being nice. And suddenly out of the blue, I may have told you, I don't think I've told you this, suddenly out of the blue, he yells, I'm going to kill you. And I thought, well, that's odd. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, people have probably thought it before. They don't usually say it to me, but immediately when he says, I'm going to kill you, he then says, oh, I'm so sorry. I have Tourette's syndrome. I just say things I don't mean. And he felt terrible. And so we just kept talking like it didn't even happen. I just pretended he didn't say it. What do you say after they say that? 
And so we went, and I got him some food, got him something to eat, and as he's taking the food, I mean, he's being really nice, and then suddenly, he, as he's taking the food, he yells out, I'm going to kill you again. And so he then said immediately, oh, I'm sorry, I did it again. He said, it's a Tourette syndrome. I said, don't worry about it. And then he took the food, and he left. I never saw him again. Some people are just a little bit off. Paul tells us again, he tells young Timothy and you and me in our passage to be kind to everyone. And by the way, if somebody really wants to kill you, they're probably not going to announce it to you. So I never felt threatened. I just thought he had a little problem there. And then lastly, the introvert, the introvert. Now, the introvert is different than the rest of the people on this list because you choose to be a chatterbox or you choose to be a friend of me. Uh, but an introvert is not somebody who's mentally deranged either. He's just, uh, or she, is just very, very shy is the word I guess I could use. You know, the goal of any friend is to connect. But with the introvert, that becomes a challenge. Getting them to open up and share requires the right approach, and it requires patience. Maybe you're an introvert. I'm an introvert. All my life, all my childhood, my greatest fear of growing up would be standing in front of a room with five people in it having to say something. And here I am. So God loves introverts too, and he can use you even if you're an introvert. But I do think it's important that we recognize it. And there may be a little bit of an introvert in many of us. Not all of us, but many. So we have to help an introvert a little bit get down the path to those friendships. Um, and by the way, don't get me wrong, being an introvert is not always a bad thing. I don't, don't want you to think of it in those terms. Solomon tells us in Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse, this is verse 17, Ecclesiastes 9, 17. Ecclesiastes 9, 17. <laughs> there we go, thank you. Uh, the quiet words of the wise are more to be heeded than the shouts of the ruler of fools. That is, those of you who are introverts and you don't talk a lot, when you do speak, people are more likely to listen to you because you're an introvert. So the good news is, by the way, the introvert wants to connect with you. God designed you and me to be social creatures. Whether we want to be or not, or whether good, we're good at it or not, we're still designed that way. We have to connect with other people. That's how we're made. And the introvert wants to connect with you, but the process of doing so is unsettling to them. Introverts make good friends, by the way, they tend to be lasting friends. They appreciate the relationship because they don't have a lot of friends because they're introverts. But you're going to have to help them a little with the process. Of course, the challenge for many of us, is again, is we may be introverted ourselves. What do you do with an introvert? Well, first you encourage them. This is right out of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 14. Paul, uh, speaking to the church in Thessalonica, and speaking to you and me, says, As we urge you, brothers, warn those who are idle. Listen to this. Encourage the what? The timid. Encourage the timid. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. So be an encourager. When you come across somebody that's introverted and you don't know how to deal with them, Encourage them. Encourage them. 
I was on Google reviews this week. I don't know why. Um, it may not be a great place to hang around. Before Google reviews, you know what we had to do before the internet, back in the olden days, the pioneer days of the 90s? When you bought something, you had to hope it was good and worked and it wasn't terrible. And if it was terrible, you were just out of luck. Not so anymore. There's not a single product sold on this planet for which there's not 500 reviews with pictures. <laughs> and I love that. If I want to buy some chairs for my house and I find a chair on Amazon I like and I read the reviews and then they all break the first week, that's great to know. So I don't buy that chair, I buy some other chair. Well, even though I'm not real keen on this, churches have reviews too. And I happen to notice, I've not seen our reviews in a long time. We have many, many positive reviews, but we got a bad review some months ago. It's been a while. And so they're not here today, but they gave us a bad review. It, it would be what I would call a mixed review, but they weren't happy with their experience here at the church. Now they give a couple of reasons for that. But before I do that, say that, uh, I mentioned this to you before, I'll say again. <laughs> I have a, a concern about consumer reviews for churches. Again, we do reviews on things we consume. We go to a restaurant we don't like, or we do like, we write a review on it. We go to a hotel we like or don't like, we write a view, review on it. We go to a retail store, we write a view, review because we're consuming products. And if we like them or we don't like them, we then respond to that. But going to a church is not a consumer product. We're not a product here. We're not producing a product here. And you are not the consumer. When you walked in to worship this morning, if you walked in thinking about uh, what you like and what you want to hear and what you want to sing and how you want the service to go, you've already lost the reason for coming to worship. Same with me. Because we're not here for you. You're not here for you. You're not here for me. You come into worship to worship God. He is the consumer, <laughs> okay? Our, our worship of him is the product. And so we come in and it doesn't matter if every person on the praise team is tone deaf, which by the way, I loved the worship this morning. They are not tone deaf and I thank God for that. <laughs> But even if they are, and by the way, I've pastored churches where the, the worship leader was tone deaf, all the congregation was tone deaf, and it was quite a spectacle. But you know what? If they sing singing from their heart, God accepted their worship, then somebody who's talented but doesn't care about God. God loves you even if you are tone deaf, but I'm thankful, having said that, I'm thankful that they're not tone deaf. But the music and the sermon is not for you. It's for the glory of God. Everything we say, do, think. I always say this. Worship is to God, toward God, and for God, and about God. Otherwise, it's just a big waste of time. So any time somebody writes a review on a church, like as a restaurant, it concerns me. They have this consumer mentality. They immediately say, well, I liked this. I didn't like that. I like this, and I like that, just like it's Walmart. And we are not Walmart. That said, I have to take it with a grain of salt, but I have to still listen to what they have to say and consider it. Um, here's what they wrote. Now, I'm not going to read the whole review, just one sentence. 
We were visitors, yet not a single person spoke to us, smiled, or shook our hand. Oh, that's terrible. Not a single person spoke to us, smiled, or shook our hand. This church, in, in this congregation, in this service, the, the second service. And I know that because I remember the person, because as soon as the service was over, they came and told me the exact same thing, almost word for word. And I said to her, I said, just to be clear, nobody, because I, I greeted her, uh, pastors don't count, um, <clears throat> That's okay, that's okay, I get it. But what she meant was nobody else came to greet her. And I said, nobody greeted you? Because we have greeters at the front door and the, every door is locked except those front doors. So you are forcibly greeted. <laughs> we have them stationed there to greet you when you came in. And so that's why I said, because I knew she had gotten greeted there. And, and again, maybe people don't feel that that counts. They want it to be more organic, I think is what they're thinking. And so I said, nobody greeted you. And she said, well, that lady over there, she pointed to that section. I don't know who, who it is, but she said, that lady did come over and greet me. So she was greeted at the door. She was greeted by that person. She was greeted by me. But then she ran home and wrote a review that nobody <laughs> greeted her. So it's, it needs to be at least more than three people. But it is important for us always to be kind to people. Now, the self-righteous preacher in me wants to say, and you know what I'm going to say, if you are visiting here today and you did not get greeted this morning, then join the church and start greeting visitors next Sunday morning every time somebody comes in. Problem solved, okay? I wish she were here. That very person were here at the back doors this morning right after the service shaking every hand. You are empowered by God to do that. I don't have to give you a badge that says, nice person. <laughs> That's your mandate. Go and greet one another. And I get it. Again, I know there's an introvert in all of us that comes out and we're going, oh my goodness, do I know this person? Or am I supposed to know this person? Are they a member or are they a visitor? I don't know. I don't care. God doesn't care. Don't you care either. You just go and greet them. You don't have to confess your sins to them and say, I, honestly, I don't know you from Adam. I hope you're not a member because I've not greeted you. You don't have to say that. Just shake their hand and smile. Look them in the eye and see how they're doing. We can do that. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right. Um, and I'm, I'm sorry we missed that opportunity with her. But I get it. We're a little bit of an introvert. So if you don't currently have a ministry here at First Baptist Church, you're a member here or a regular attender, let me give you one. Greet people. Get here a few minutes early before the service. Don't come running in as the music starts. Get here a little bit early. Shake some hands. When it's over, don't bolt out the door immediately. Stay here for a little bit. Greet one another around you. Be friendly. 1 Peter 4.9 says it this way. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Offer hospitality. It's free and it's not difficult to do. And again, today, whether you are a or you are with a frenemy, a chatterbox, the slightly crazy, or an introvert. They are loved by God, and as Paul says, be patient with them and encourage them. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for these challenges that you give us. And we identify with many of these personality types because sometimes it's us. If we are 
a frenemy or a chatterbox that just talks way too much beyond our wisdom, forgive us. Help us to be honest about that with you. May your spirit guide us. Help us to speak more kindly and stop talking bad about people behind their back. Oh, forgive us for that. It does damage in our families, at our workplace, in our church. Help us not to be a frenemy. Father, there are many here today that are introverts to one level or another. If not, we all know introvert, introverts. They're in our family. They're, one, they're among our friends. And sometimes they need us to be gracious to them, patient with them. We could do that. Help us to be purposeful about that so that nobody slips through the cracks. And I can say, well, you know, even if they're a visitor, they should stand up. They have arms and hands themselves. They can greet one another. They can greet other people. It's not our job just to be nice to them in a one-way street. And I can say that, but I understand. We understand, Lord. Sometimes people are intimidated or they're introverts. They just don't know what to say or do. Help us to take an extra step and be gracious to them. For this one who wrote the review, Father, I know she is loved by you. I pray for her, that your joy would be made complete in her life, wherever she is and whatever she's doing. As you're praying, no one's looking around. Where are you challenged in your life today? Which one of these groups most connect with you, most describe you? Or which one of these personality types do you have to deal with mostly at work or school or wherever you are in your life? God will give you wisdom. He'll give you patience and help you to be gracious. But I challenge you right now where you are to say, God, help me. Help me with this individual. Because people come to your mind as I was saying it. Help me with this individual. Give me wisdom. Help me to provide boundaries and to be patient with them and to encourage them. Will you do that? Could be God is calling you or your family to join with First Baptist Church and you want to serve the kingdom here. Or you want to give your life to Christ. Just come down and say, Pastor, I want to give my life to Jesus. How do I do that? And we'll talk and pray about that. But you need to take that step. Would you stand? No one's looking around. All heads are bowed. All eyes are closed. And as you stand and as you pray right now, this invitation is for you. You come.